Blue skies call. They seduce us, pulling us irresistibly upwards, reminding us to fly our own line, on our wings, and in life. We are the seekers, adventurers, being one with the air, feeling everything and nothing at once. That's the magic we chase. Follow the call. Find your pure wild flight with NZ Aerosports. Of course. I absolutely love the NZ Aerosports business model. I mean, come on. One glance at an Icarus fuck yeah sticker and you know it lines up perfectly with the fucking pilot mentality. But outside their wonderful use of colorful language and a great company vibe, there's a long list of reasons to say NZ Aerosports fuck yeah. NZ Aerosports blows me away right out of the gate as a canopy manufacturer with a bold offer. They give you 10 jumps on your brand new nylon to decide if you want to keep it swap it out, or even return it for a refund. I mean, seriously, how incredible is that? That's like getting halfway through a prom and deciding you prefer the slightly racier date that goes down faster. Seriously, they do that. If you're not madly in love with your new canopy after 10 jumps, they'll let you swap it out for another size or model, or even get your money back. And the range of canopies they've got? Man, they've got a style canopy to fit every jumper and every situation with models you know and trust like the Sapphire 3, the perfect choice for the beginner or intermediate canopy pilot, the Crossfire 3 when you're ready to kick it up that elliptical notch, the JFX 2 if you're looking to up your new swoop game, the Leia as the workhorse and dirt water dirt beast, or the Petra. The Petra cranks out crazy power and is nothing short of a record breaker. But hey, it's not always about speed either. Take the Kraken. Built as a low pack volume canopy specifically with wingsuiting in mind, she gives you all the performance you're looking for with the reliability you need that'll have you itching for that next formation, rodeo, or puffy cloud. So, the equipment is top-of-the-line kick-ass stuff, as you already know, but how about the team? Well, the customer service gang is there to sort you out whenever you need them. Maddie and Beto are always there to help with Jen holding the reins. They're available for you at sales at nzaerosports.com, and they've got a kick-ass live chat tool on the website if you're wanting to hit someone up right away. These are the crew you're going to want to talk to to get those custom orders in. With the stock nylon, once you know what you want, they'll have that shit on a FedEx truck as soon as the credit card machine says approved and get you in the air in no time. For your custom orders, you'll be able to get a time frame for building and shipping when you design it, so get to it. And demos. They've got demos in the U.S. available from their partner Rock Sky Market. The whole U.S. demo fleet is there with Sapphire 3, Crossfire 3, Kraken, JFX2, and Leia canopies in a range of sizes. They also offer student and tandem demos in the U.S. Bottom line, every step of the way, NZ Aerosports is there to get you what you need, and I personally couldn't be happier to be teamed up with them here on Lunatic Fringe. And now, time to get started with Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, brought to you proudly by NZ Aerosports. Fuck yeah! Coming straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go! 
back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void. And I always say that they're special, but this one is because, man, there's a story to tell here, and I'm not going to take away any time. Who the fuck are you and what do you do? Uh, hey, how's it going, everybody? Uh, this is Nick James Batch again. Uh, it's been a long, long time since I've been on uh, the Lunatic Fringe. Uh, it's it's awesome to be back. Awesome. Um, looking, forward, looking forward to uh, talking a little bit about my journey uh, where I came from, what's been going on in my life, uh, and then uh, skydiving in general, all the awesome. good stuff. I mean, it's been a hell of a journey, even just watching it from the outside. And as I told you pre-podcast, uh, I watched uh, the Nationals um, pretty closely because I had friends competing and all you guys competing and watching you uh, ended up on the top of the podium, knowing even just a little bit of your story was really fucking inspiring which is why i want you to tell your story and i'm just going to sit here and shut up and be a fan and listen so if you can tell people why this is so impressive and and how you ended up with an uphill battle over the last couple of years to end up back on that podium i want to hear all about it sure um we can kind of dive down that rabbit hole bit uh it it really um it really it really comes down to you know looking for yourself, finding what you want in life. Um, and then, uh, waiting for the right opportunity to, to let it present itself for, uh, for you to be able to make that leap or, or figure out whether you can do something again. Um, I was in an accident, um, in 2018, my teammate and I, we were training up in the middle of a good season. Uh, world championships just ended in Poland, just did the swoop freestyle in San Diego or mm. not in San Diego in Copenhagen. I mm. uh, was getting ready for San Diego and that two-way comp that PD was going to throw down in 2018. And then um, my friend came in town uh, to Colorado and he, he hadn't jumped out there in quite a while. And I had just gotten in on an international flight um, just to, a large abradement uh, of a lot of things coming together to cause an accident as mm. usual. You know, it's never that, that one thing that made you get hurt. Sure. Um, so, you know, between him not jumping there in six years and me uh, coming off an international flight, I uh, haven't done two ways with them very much. Um, and then uh, was just gung ho to get them first thing in the morning. Let's get on that airplane. Didn't even have memory cards in my GoPros. Cause I had just handed off the video files uh, to the, to the crew over a swoop freestyle. Mm. So, you know, just the, the level of preparedness was not really there. Um, decided to go up on the first jump, follow them in instead of uh, just doing some solos or, you know, backing off and taking it easy. Mm. And uh, I got too close to him in the turn uh, out here in Colorado or out there in Colorado. I was, you know, we're diving nowadays. Uh, we're diving at about, hundred miles per hour vertical, which is usually in the range of 150 feet per second closing speeds. Mm. And, um, and I just held off like a second, probably on the backside of my turn to keep from being too close to him in the snap. And then, uh, and when I finished my snap and I looked at the ground for the first time, I found myself about 40 or 50% of the altitude that I needed of the 300 feet is gone. And, uh, and I, I didn't really recognize the sight picture right away. You know, it's the first time I looked at the ground since, since the beginning of the turn, you know, I'm, I'm watching my buddy, I'm flying his turn. And then, uh, and then all of a sudden there's this picture I don't normally recognize. Sure. And I see him out like 50 or 70 yards in front of me, maybe about 70 meters uh, uh, above me still, you know, something of that nature. And, and I'm, I'm going like, why is, why is he out there? You know? And then the next, next mental thought was like, okay, you're going in, 
Like there's, but it, it took a second to process. Cause I, I didn't have that clear picture the whole time. I wasn't looking at the ground myself sure. um, during that two way. So, so for me, it was kind of like an awkward surprise. And then you take the reaction time of the human to respond to something of that nature. I was probably only like a hundred feet from the ground or so when I, when I stabbed the brakes on my canopy, but Oof. um, at that wing loading, that speed, that altitude recovery, there's not much left, you know, to her at that, at that point. So right. I, uh, I ended up almost getting out of the dive, you know, it would have, you, I, I wish I would have hit harder. And I know that sounds completely f- and crazy. Um, <laughs> but at the end of the day, the reason I wish I would have hit harder was because I, the deflection of the water would have been different, you know, um, sure. instead, instead of just going into the water and then skipping off the water and then landing a little bit later, um, I barely caught my knees and it flipped me upside down the harness. Um, and that, that, that unloaded the canopy extremely quickly. Sure. Um, and I was probably my mental picture. What I saw behind me was the ground was behind me and I'm, I'm upside down the harness and I'm probably 30, 40 feet in the air already. Mm. Um, so I, I had the toggles in my hands, you know, that's what I used to save myself. I, uh, I, I pulled them down as hard as I could. And I kind of like, um, you know, that sensation, if you've ever a uh, boogie board or surfed and you're about to take a big wave and then you decide like, oh, I'm not going to do it. And you pull off the back of the top, right? The last second, it's kind of what it felt like, you know, mm-hmm. I was like pushing myself back in my harness, everything I have. And uh, when I was sat back up in the harness, I was probably 60 feet in the air mm-hmm. and I was like heading off the pond at a 45 degree angle. Um, and it, the canopy was clearly in a shutter of a high speed stall. It was mm-hmm. not performing to a very very efficient manner. Um, so I'm, I'm in the toggles and I'm kind of like feeling her out and it feels like, it feels like when we're stalling them into the accuracy pit, you know, Mm. there's not much left in her. Um, you've already used enough to get up and like, you're just kind of placing yourself for the landing. Sure. Um, and it starts coming down. So I start, I start flying the stall and I flew that canopy until I stood it up on the side of the pond. Um, and the only thing I could think of going into the impact was um, was that I needed to save my back and my up, my neck and my body because mm. it because I knew I knew I've hit the ground hard enough. I broke my ankle in Dubai, uh, speed flying up mm. in the mountains there. Uh, I, I know what it's like to go into something at a high rate of speed that's going to you know injure you. And that and that was that picture. That side picture said you're you're in trouble. Sure. Um, so yeah, I stood it up and, uh, it blew out my left leg completely. Uh, that was the left side of the pond. So it was kind of like on the edge of the water. Um, right. so one of my legs, my left leg went down more, more than my right leg and it, it had to have twisted somewhat. So the, uh, the tib fib, the compound fractured out the shin and then the leg twisted from the tib fib breaking. And that's what broke the femur at the hip. Oof. Uh, and then yeah, it was really bad. And so even with that stand up, I still broke my nose on the ground. That's how hard the impact was. So it was tip fib. And then once that gave away and then knee couldn't, you know, the leg couldn't support that angle. Then the hip gave out, not the hip, but the femur at the, at the, at the hip right, right. there at the femur head. Uh, yeah. So it was, it was pretty, uh, pretty traumatic. I, I was, you know, I w- was pretty shaken up. I wasn't, wasn't even sure if I was okay or not to walk around, you know, cause you're, you're way adrenaline out at the moment. You can't sure. even, I didn't even know my leg was broken. Um, I had a pin, you know, the, the hip pinched, like there was a 
pain there and then like but the lower leg I couldn't even feel what was going on there wow and uh, my friend asked me it's like do you need an ambulance and I went to pull my leg uh out from my other leg and to find that it was wrapped around my right leg and I didn't even know that so the shin was kind of like broken in half around the other chin um sort of the way I was laying yeah so so that was pretty dramatic for her because she was you know the blooded squirt and that was all good (laughs) it was very (laughs) very uh it turned real real fast you know sure. like oh okay yeah i, I do need an ambulance um well, now and, I wanna, and you know i was lucky i, I, yeah, I was go just going to ask you seem to have such a clear picture of what happened but most of the time you talk to people that were in an accident like yeah. that and their memories are spotty at best but obviously some of this was pretty slowed down for you especially considering you're 60 feet up and it's stalling out but do you attribute your recall of this um just from how many times you've swooped and how much this one stood out as unusual um i'm not sure what what threw it down exactly for me um I've always noticed like in a moment of fear or pain or something that's happening to me, like in my life that I would find a way to overcome that pain. Mm. And I, I think like talking about the injury or like walking through it is like what really helped me remember it. Because while the guys from the emergency with were taking care of my leg and getting me all bandaged up to take to the hospital, they were, you know, they're asking me what I was, how I did it or what, you know, and, it's kind of funny from a point of spec point of view for my wife. Cause she came, she came a few minutes later. She was already on her way to the facility, luckily. And, uh, and she arrives and I'm explaining to the technicians how to swoop. Um, so that's pretty funny. <laughs> cause, uh, cause, cause it wasn't even like, you know, like, Oh yeah. You know, like I was, I was more or less just trying to explain how I got hurt so they could understand the implications of the injury. Sure. Um, it was, it was a little but, but I, I, you know, it was weird, man. I didn't have any pain until after probably I started driving in the ambulance on the way to the, the hospital. Hmm. Um, a lot of it was, was so adrenaline filled and, um, and I was conscious for the whole thing. I didn't have a head injury. So I was very lucky with that yeah. because we, we've had some friends get head injuries with much less impacts um, that, that have, you know, made them less than what they were originally. Sure, so it's, sure. it's, I'm, I'm fortunate. I'm very fortunate, uh, but I knew that going into it, man. And, and I, I preach it to my students that I teach, but man, you fly that shit until it's done, dusted, laid across the ground and, you know, has footprints on it, like whatever it takes, you just gotta, you gotta fly that canopy until it's done flying. Cause even though you're done flying and you just wrecked, like it's, it's a machine, man. Those things are, they're amazing nowadays compared to what they used to be. And they used to collapse and we used to flip through the water quite viciously, but now they just, they don't collapse. You know, if they don't, if there's not a line implication that causes the lines to disrupt with the, with something, you know, pulling on one real hard, then, uh, then you've got a pretty even inflation. I must've hit real even in the harness because it just kind of flipped me upside down and sailed. Wow. Um, So it was a little, little dramatic um yeah. for, for what i thought was going to be a little bit like an exciting two-way turned into a real real freaking crazy in the ground moment right for sure for sure man now when um, did when did the reality yeah, set in because i mean I've, I've 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 been in accidents not quite as extreme as that but i've definitely fucked myself up and and it sometimes takes a while for it to soak in but did it start hitting you in the ambulance or was it in the hospital that you're like oh fuck no, you know, the, the real big thing for me, uh, the hardest thing was that when, when I was there and we were on the ground 
like with my leg all messed up, all the thoughts that kept going through my head was you just lost your career, Oof. you know? Um, and cause, cause at the end of the day, I, I mean, like I, I was going to live, you know what I mean? Like it mm. wasn't a life or death situation. Now, whether I was going to walk the same again or whether I was going to be able to use my leg the way again, that, that was a different thought process. Right. That was in the back of my head too. But, but the ultimate thing was like, I had just came off of, as you, you know, cause we've talked, I was, I was at a career high when sure. this all went down. Like I had won four world championship titles in a row. Mm. Uh, there had been, you know, amazing accomplishments on many fronts for most competitions. I was in the top placings and I, I knew where I was physically and mentally to lose all that when I was just figured it all out, like for a few years, you know, I'd been competing since Oh six. Right. So for me, it was like, man, like you just got this thing figured out after 12 years and now you just did this to yourself. Yeah. That mm. was more the, the mental side of it. For sure. Was it harder knowing um, that, uh, cause it, I could just see them all. Was it harder knowing that it was just uh, basically but, a fun jump with a buddy than had it been like training for a competition? Well, it was, it was training for a two-way competition um, that PD was holding, but that, that doesn't mean anything to me. You know what I mean? Like, sure. and I don't mean that on a scale of like, oh, it's not important, but like, let's be honest, it's more for fun. Sure. Um, whereas like with the normal competition, when you're flying by yourself, you're doing your own thing, you're flying. That's, that's, that's me flying me. Right. Um, so it was extremely frustrating for me because had I not, indulged completely in the the sense of doing a two-way which i think is really fun and cool don't get me wrong but but was it worth it for me personally no i mean like i've i've had so many close calls in two ways i can't even tell you all of them um some of them are you know ridiculous and it, it, for what you know i mean for a competition that doesn't really judge anything but what two people are able to perform together at our level of sport it's not really um, well-recognized. Sure. If you're an Olympic diver doing two ways with a teammate for an Olympic medal, totally worth it. Yeah, I get it. But sure. you know, like for our sport, it's, we, the two way comps are just for fun. Sure. Like you said. Um, so it, it did hurt to, uh, to know that I got busted up doing something that wasn't really career goal oriented. Now, when um, you, when you were at the it. level that you were going into all this prior to the accident, um, because you trained so hard, because you were on top of your game, was there any point at which you thought I'm not going to end up in that situation because I've, I've, I've got what I need to keep myself from, you know, getting in the corner like that. Um, you know, that's a hard, Hard, a hard question. You know, I've, I've been down that road in 2011. Uh, after I had won my first world championship title, uh, I ended up hurting myself quite badly in Z Hills under uh, 62 Petra when they weren't even out yet. This was under mm. a prototype and I just couldn't get out of the dive. Um, and it, it seemed, you know, it's weird when they seem perfect, but then it doesn't work, you know, like, mm. like it felt like the most powerful, swoop ever you know what i mean like and the rears were just everything was loaded and i feel power and then all of a sudden it's like this isn't working mm. you're not recovering oh shit and and it like we talked about earlier 150 feet a second closing speed <laughs> at 100 miles per hour and we're transferring from vertical on average like 99 i, I in in arizona i was averaging 99.8 miles per hour on my snap about 310 feet from the ground and then we transfer horizontally into the 85 to 90 miles an hour if you're lucky sure. range of horizontal speed usually in the 70s 
because uh, the inefficiency of the harnesses and just sure. our flying techniques. Um, so, so like, yeah, I mean, like in that moment of like, there's a lot happening right. for very short, like, you know, you've got a, <laughs> a half a second to make a life changing decision. And um, it's one of those things I teach my students is you, you just, what people need to realize is that if you're flying a 58 or 57 foot canopy and you stab the brakes completely on that parachute, you're going to get like three or four inches of tail deflection, maybe um, before right. the canopy is going to start to go into a high speed stall. So there's really not much deflection of air to save your life uh, in the terms of like stabbing out. Sure. Um, and what I'd like to teach like my students, which a lot of people don't understand is that when the, when you're in a steep dive and your canopy's parallel to the ground with you um, and then you hit the brakes really hard, it's not that the canopy's creating hundred percent lift that's saving your life necessarily. Um, the lift is being generated, but it's horizontal and it's, it's not traveling vertically to the ground like a Harrier jet. Right. It's actually that the parachute's increasing the drag ratio of the brakes per the size of the wing versus the drag it had in its linear shape. And then when you do that, you're connected by strings. So it goes up, you come down, Right. it saves your life faster. You know, I mean, that's the basic physics about what's happening. So if you're under a really small wing that has the same drag coefficient and aspect of your body size, because you're, you know, we're getting to that size wing versus body size thing. Um, then, then you can actually, it's really hard to save your life. in a if you decide to do that too low or too late, because there's not much drag coefficient difference. And in fact, when we're stabbing out the brakes, we're usually getting bigger in our body position too. Sure. And it causes us to almost stay in a dive even longer, you know, because you're, you're changing the drag on two objects now and it's not, not as efficient. So right. the, the, my, my best advice is get as small as possible, stab out as deep as possible and, you know, hold Oof. on to the strings as, as hard as you can to get, get a lot of pressure on them. Yeah, man. Um, now, when so after yeah, after the big accident, um, you've obviously gone to the hospital and the doctors are starting to give their assessments and you've done the x-rays and I'm guessing MRIs and they're checking everything out. When did you start to get the, or were there any really heavy predictions from the doctors about usability and how good your leg's going to be when it's all said and done? Well, we're having, that's a, that's, yeah, you're getting pretty deep into it. And these are great questions. Mm. Um my, my teammate Jay was in the room and my wife, who's a surgical at the time was a surgical trauma nurse, um, mm. was also in the operating room when they were trying to set my lower leg to get the bone back in. Mm. And, um, so that was a really traumatic moment because I was, uh, they, they couldn't get my leg set. They couldn't save the bone. Um, wow. there was a chunk missing and they were trying to put the chunks back into my leg, uh, so that like the leg could be put into a, an ex exeter for uh, three weeks until sure. the swelling goes down enough to do the surgeries. And so they, uh, they couldn't get it to set. And so I was awake, even though they had me on medicine during that. And then, um, so when I came to somewhat, I, I told the doctor, I said, I, you have to put me under more than that. Like I felt everything. I saw everything that was happening. Wow. Is not okay. Um, (laughs) because what was happening was they couldn't get, they couldn't get enough traction to pull the lower leg far enough out from the compaction to, to get the bone to actually go back into the leg. So they were talking about having to surgically remove the bones right? and then, and then freeze them and then put them back in later possibly. So there was going to get really complicated. And, um, and so during that whole operation, uh, like it took the third doctor, it took a larger male doctor to get my lower leg in. 
but I had fears that I wasn't going to be able to walk correctly sure. um, or at all. You know, there was a lot going on emotionally at that point. Um, I mean, my concern and, at that point, especially so, with as okay. with hardcore as you're talking about, would be am I, my head would have gone instantly to, am I going to keep this leg? For fuck's sake, man, that's hardcore. Yeah, that's where it was. Yeah. Yeah, they had to start giving me infusions with blood and stuff because it was Oof. getting pretty traumatic with the amount of blood I was losing during the operation trying to get the leg saved. Sure. So it was it was pretty it was it was real, you know. I mean, and you know it's real when your when your wife, who's a surgical trauma nurse, is kind of like wanting to leave the room because it's you, not just right. another patient. Um, there's, you know, she can handle that kind of stuff, and it was still pretty gory from sure. what I remember from the description that my teammates given me. So, so that was, that was traumatic, man. Like I, I didn't even know. And then, you know, like, and then they got the lower leg fixed and I got in the recovery room and, and, you know, they, my birthday present to myself was a femur rod the next day on my birthday. <laughs> so September 3rd was the accident. September 4th on my birthday, they gave me a femur rod up in the hip and that was pretty uh you know it actually felt better the instant they put it back together it didn't right. hurt as bad um yeah it was weird and then uh and then i wasn't able to walk for about three three to four months because and i couldn't use an e-scooter either because the femur break wow. so it was all crutches for for about three to four months yeah so, man i mean um, that's some i mean seriously that's that's as intense as they get when it comes to trying to, re to have a recoverable injury. And I mean, it, we, we, you don't have to go too deep into it, but I mean, that is like a, 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 an absolute perfect recipe for serious PTSD, which is why I was so impressed, yeah. you know, that to, to go through this and to know only a little bit of how bad that was, but even now to know so much more, how the fuck, did you, when did you go, you know, something I'm going to get back in the saddle or did it take time? Uh, yeah. You know, like we had a lot of family stuff going on um, with uh, right after my accident. It wasn't just about me. Uh, there was a lot of uh, financial situations with my wife going back to school for a CRNA mm. and uh, my insurance programs with an pre-existing injuries Um and her quitting her job so that she could go back to school. So there was sure. a lot of, there was a lot of financial hardship to keep me on insurance. Um, we were paying Cobra oh, wow. and it was, it was more than most people's uh, mortgages per month just to keep my insurance. Wow. And so we didn't, we didn't uh, set me forward. Like I didn't plan on skydiving uh, for a long time because, because it was going to be uh, too much. So we switched insurance and then I didn't jump for, I could have jumped as of like 14 months after the accident. And then I didn't end up jumping till almost two and a half, uh, two years, eight months later. Wow. Um, once she finished her, you know, was finishing school again and then uh, new insurance and stuff like that. So I actually did my first jump back. I think it was sometime, honestly, I didn't keep track that much. It was like, I did, two or three jumps in like April. Okay. And then um, I, I pulled back out of jumping again because of health related issues for myself and concerns. Um, so we, I, I had been diagnosed with, with some illnesses that had, had taken a front step on our family's agenda for, for a while now. Okay. So then uh, dealing with those for the last year or so, and then uh, decided that if I wanted to do this whole competition thing, I would have to do it now because um, sure. the U S nationals is happening. And and if you don't go now, you don't get to make the team for next year. And I've been through that many years in a row and 
also kept me off the team for South Africa because I wasn't able to compete in 18, um, wasn't able to compete in 19. Sure. So there's quite a few U.S. teams I missed uh, the opportunity to compete for. So um, when all that went down and then I was invited because of uh, the world championships didn't end with freestyle completing. So they used the rankings from the 2018 world championships for the world games meet. And I got an invite from uh, Cornelia and XC called me on the phone okay. from uh, when they were over in Russia in Siberia and asked me if I wanted to take a slot on for the world games. So it got put on the spot a little bit there, but <laughs> you know, it didn't take me more than about 0.5 of a second to say yes. Um, cause, cause I had wanted to go compete at that world meet also since the last one in 2017 sure. in Poland. Um, so I'm, I'm just really excited. Cause I was like, all right, I'm going to do the world games again. Um, I was able to do three of those in my career, which is once every four years, it's a long, long stint. And sure. I was able, you know, so I was like, if, there's not many athletes, I think, or if there are any canopy piloting who have gone to all four uh, world game events sure. or have gone to four or more. Uh, so I was like, listen, I got to try this out. Like this must be meant to be. Uh, so I, I took the invite and then I told them, I told them, I said, listen, like if I'm going to do this, I'm going to respectfully try to figure out if I want to do this before I just show up, you know, and, and that's out of, that's out of respect for other competitors because the slots for that event to me is the most coveted venue of any venue. It's like our Olympics. Sure. Uh, happens once every four years. And, you know, like, so if I was going to take a slot and I didn't really care about the sport or wanted to do it, it to me, that was just being a little bit too selfish. So, sure. Um, so I started jumping pretty hardcore on September 15th. Um, I went out to the drop zone, got my paperwork signed up. Um, I had my reserves still repacked from when I did jumps earlier in the year. And uh, I just bought a 10 jump package and said, let's see how this goes. And then mm. bought another 10 jump package and then bought another. And it kind of went like that. You know, I was out there every day sure. and uh, training, did 135 jumps in about 35 days. Wow. Without, and I hadn't jumped in over three in almost two months man uh, oh man now was there couple. was there a, a, a well there had to have been obviously some conversation but was there a, an intense conversation with your wife about this is what i want to do was she supportive was she standoffish i mean that's got to be a tough spot for her too especially seeing everything that she saw you go through yeah um you know it, it had been a long long time coming with the conversation we we'd been back and forth about whether or not I would want to do it again or whether I, you know, she would want me to do it again. Um, and, and you know, what I really waited for is the, the craziest part. I just waited for her to tell me she wanted me to be happy skydiving again. That's and, awesome. uh, you know, I didn't push, it. I didn't push it on her. I didn't, I just waited until I saw a response from her on a level of like, she actually wants me to do something for sure. it, not just for myself, you sure. know, and, and, you know, you, you've been with someone for a long time, you know, how you can read people. And I mean, you know, when something's genuinely, they want you to do it because right. they want you to do it, or they're just saying that because they want you to be happy. Right. Um, there's a difference. And, and so, yeah, I just waited for that, for that one, you know, for her to say, she, she wanted me to be happy and go back and start jumping again. If that's something I wanted to do. And then, and then, so when I got her blessing, then I just took it as that. And I started 
making mental plans to want to compete, but there was such a huge, huge mental block over the possibility of what, what can my legs sustain again Sure. in terms of landings? Can I even compete at a level that is what I would consider worthy of going to put all this money and time and effort and to, to go do what I've done before? Like, sure. can I, can I sustain, will I just blow up my leg and cost my family another, you know, hundreds of thousands of medical bills sure. again or what might happen? So, so I didn't, I didn't really, uh, I didn't really know what to believe, you know, in, in, in pursuing those goals. Sure. Uh, I obviously wanted to win the U S nationals. Um, there's no other reason why I would show up other than, than that purpose. Um, I'm not a, just go for it and try to do something kind of guy. Um, I, I, I don't do well with, with, letting myself down in different areas. And, and so this was a huge mental barrier for me to cross, which I've done a lot of, uh, I've done a lot of things before that have required mental acuteness and ability to overcome like previous things that have happened in life. But, but this by far was the, the biggest mental cake I've ever been down in terms of trying to figure out what, who you are as a human, what can you do? Like what, what is physically possible? You know? Well, that's the thing, right? I mean, make that many jumps. It it really is a, who am I kind of question? I mean, fundamentally you come through something like that um, where your entire life and your entire world and vision of it is turned upside down, literally in a 10th of a second. uh, And now you're faced with a whole bunch of, Oh shit. What now questions, man, that's tough to just walk away from. That's, that lasts. Yeah. There's a lot of, there was a lot of pressure on myself. Like I was saying, I'm, I'm really hard on myself. So it was a, it was one of those, like, you know, I had to learn how to pop it up and start to trust my leg and accuracy. And then, you know, if you, you, if you, you ask Aaron uh, and a couple of the other grounds people out there that were watching me pound myself into the ground for a month straight there before nationals, I, I mean, I took the beating, you know, I, I went out there and I destroyed myself every day, um, trying to learn to trust the legs and build the muscle back. And, and, you know, I couldn't build the muscle in a month. There's no way, like I lost an inch of my legs and an inch and a half out of my buttocks, uh, from just not getting back into the scene and wearing weights and doing jumps and, you know, so, so I didn't have that leg strength and man, I pounded my face into the ground so many times trying to stand up accuracy and learn to trust the leg. But when do I give out? When do I let it go? So I don't break it again. You know, there was a lot of, I did about 65 accuracy jumps and most of them were not stand up landings, um, trying to learn to stand up again, trusting it. So that was a huge mental thing. Um, but like you said, the PTSD thing, even right after the accident, I went scuba diving And then, uh, you know, I freaked out. I was 60 feet down right after I got down to the bottom and I lost my regulator and I couldn't find my backup regulator and my wife wasn't right there. And then like, I, I went back into like, you know, like that, like I got masks on, I'm in the hospital mode thing. Right. I don't know. It was weird. And it, it tripped me out, man. I was, so I decompressed and I blew out all my air and I surfaced, you know? And I mean, and then the, 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 the scuba rep dude is like, are you sure you can go down again? You know, like he's like trying to push me to go down. So I ended up going back down on the same tank, like right then and then pushed through the rest of the whole scuba dive. But that was the, that was a crazy mental scuba dive. Cause that was like all in my own head the whole sure. time. Man. 
Well, and that's the thing, like, right? That's the hardest fucking battle. <laughs> that's the hardest battle is fighting your own head and trying to get around these. I mean, especially considering you're you're having PTSD on a scuba dive about a skydive. It's not fucking logical. It comes out of left field and holy shit, man. It's it's almost everything you can do just to hang on. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was like, and you know, the fact that I was 60 feet down and it was a life or death situation. And maybe it was the fact that it was the first time that I've been put into a life or death situation again since the accident. Mm. You know, like whatever psychologically was going on, it wasn't okay, you know, like right. clearly. But, um, but, but shit like that, you know, like having to push through that. And then, you know, the, the mental side of like coming down the road from that, the PTSD and the jumping, you know, like, you know, trusting the brakes, learning to dive the parachute like mm. feeling and we got buffety air out here in arizona it's not the cleanest air you know no. like so it's there's some weird there's a lot of woofo issues going on for that month i'll tell you right what. um everything from like the parachute feels small to this rig is loose on my body you know because you're just not used to doing sports again you're right you're i was working nine to five and taking care of you know the apartment or whatever we're living at the time traveling around the country doing school with my wife and I mean, life, life was different for sure. three years. So, um, kind of strange to get back in and then, and then try to find yourself mentally. Also, like I, I constantly run back into like, Oh, you used to do that all the time. You know, like, cause I've just, when, when you have an accident that I, like I had, and you don't know if you'll ever do something again, you have to do your damn hardest and try to learn to mentally disconnect what your life used to be to what your life is now. Sure. And what you used to do to what you do now, because everything's changed. Sure. And in order for you to be happy, you've got to find some sort of happiness in what you're doing. Otherwise you'll go insane. Sure. You you'll lose it. So, you know, for me, I washed all that away on purpose. Like, and even though like I was getting, you know, like competition mantra and all this stuff comes back to you it doesn't mean that I like I sat there and thought about swooping and flying parachutes and like how I would do things differently for myself once the whole time that I was hurt. Cause mm. I learned to not think about that stuff. Sure. Um, it, it, the only time I would think about it was when I'm fixing my students turns or working with my students, but then I would be like a normal, normal life outside of that, that you're not a skydiver. You're just doing normal things. So right. it was really, uh, really interesting to, step back into those shoes and then have to learn, relearn everything that you used to do. Originally you just did it, but now right. you have to think about doing it. Right. It's not, it. it's not second it's so nature strange. anymore. You're having to, you're having to force yourself into those shoes. Now, when you, when you, yeah. you, you finally made the decision and now you're, you're there competitions getting ready. Was it a, on the first jump, I'm mentally there, I'm back. Or was it a continuous, a new adjustment even through the competition um it was a constant new adjustment uh you know like the flcpa was a huge awakening for me i got my ass kicked by a whole bunch of people um i took a third overall which i wouldn't say a whole bunch but i'm telling you like these guys were all coming with with bigger guns and better mm. weapons than i've ever flown and you know you watch all these mutant harnesses four or five years ago that didn't make a score now they're getting dialed in you know after flying it for this long people mm. are starting to hit scores really well so you know it's hard to keep up with coming coming back into the game with like borrowed parachutes because i had one uh since i sold all most of my stuff borrowed rigs um 
And then on top of all that, just, just trying to figure out how to fly. Uh, I was, I'm seven kilos lighter than I used to be. So everything's Mm. different. Um, it it was a real trip. It was, it was kind of crazy to, 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 you know, like, all right, can I do this? And I, like I said, I, I was calling on friends and I, I tore a 75 in practice doing a wing over and I had to call on, on another friend to send me my old 75. And I'm just lucky I have some friends because, uh, almost every parachute I was flying during the, the practice month and during the FLCPA with someone else's parachute. Wow. Um, yeah. So it's, it's nice, it's nice to, it's nice to have friends that still have all your canopies, you know, <laughs> that, that you want to um, play that much, but, but it was weird. It's, it's a trip, you know, but, but also just the seeing everybody again, you know, like the whole, like, all the new faces with the old faces mixed in. And then like, you're trying to, I mean, like I was saying, I was, I, it was a different game, you know, like, I'm like, all right, I bit off more than I can chew on this one for sure. Hmm. But then I started remembering that like, it's nine rounds and like, it's nine rounds of very pressure flying for a lot of teams that it's not just going and throwing a run and who cares? Like, right. Even my flying was more aggressive and, and my distances suffered for my water touches because everything was just so rough. Cause you're just, I got to get this part done, you know, right. like, or I don't make a team. Uh, there's a lot of pressure on, on this competition in particular that maybe it's weird, but maybe you wouldn't even see the same pressure at the world meet because you're already at the world meet, you know sure. what I mean? You're not trying to get there. So. Sure. Yeah. Um, you're, you're there. You've yeah, made it. A lot of, yeah, you're already on the team. Like all you have to do is score nine runs and do well, you know, like, but in the U S thing, you know, I've, scored a few zeros before in 2016 and didn't make the U S team, hmm. you know what I mean? Like, had just won the world championships, 2015, didn't make the team 2016 with the mistakes. Sure. Like that's sure. crazy, but it happened. You know, it's a, you might wake up with a migraine. You can't change a competition date just cause you're sick. Sure. You know, there's, there's issues, there's issues with that too. Um, with, you know, like a lot of people, you get to a certain point, like you want to compete, uh, but does your body want you to compete? Like, <laughs> right. does your neck, your, you know what I mean? Like, no, I could tell you after, after 145 jumps in a month, like I, <laughs> I am whoop my ass into shape, but man, I'm hurting still, you know, sure. and I, I haven't jumped in four days. I'm, I'm still sore. <laughs> so man, um, yeah, well, man. It's, so it, it's, it's been a journey. So <laughs> it, 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 it strikes me as, as uh, even more impressive because you were going into it, not just with the changes physically and, and the, you know, different wing loading and, and borrowed gear and stuff, but the change in the mentality, because that, if you ask me, especially for CP is the most important part is that mental sharpness and accuracy and knowing I've got this, this is what I do. This is how it feels. And you went into it. I don't want to say as a rookie, but feeling like you were starting over again, which to me is insane that you would even score, let alone end up on the top of the podium. Yeah, there was, there was a lot of training that went down and that helped a lot. But even like you were saying, going into the competition, there was moments in the comp where I'm just like, this isn't, this isn't how you fly, (laughs) but there was what stood out more than that was like the moment that like I flew, like I do fly, like, mm. and I'm like, Oh my God, like, you know, I scored a hundred in accuracy. I'm like, Oh, where'd that come from? I've been waiting, right. you know, like the 91, the round before, like my foot's on the tape, but I'm almost in the box. And then the third round I had to pop like 25 feet in the air because the winds died and I had all my, I had too much weight on. 
too much power and uh, ended up setting down in the box. But right. I had to, I, I collapsed under the, like, I, I kind of like, I stood it up, but then like the, my balance went off and then it was just like, put my hand down right uh, to, you know, keep my face from stacking the, the <laughs> peas. But, but for the most part, like there's those moments where you're like, you're like, you're fine. And you feel like you've always felt um, you forget about your injuries. You forget about what limitations you might have. Um, but that's also a scary thing. Cause then it makes me push things as harder, as hard as I used to, you know, sure. and my mom's watching and my wife's watching. And I, you know, like I pop up 20 plus feet in there and I got 15 pounds of lead on and I'm going for a stand up, you know, and they're watching going, Oh my Jesus, like, right. please don't blow your leg up right now. <laughs> like, I mean, and I'm just sitting there, you know, I'm, I'm not even in that moment. I'm just thinking like, stand the shit up. So you don't sure. lose. <laughs> I mean, that's gotta be such a mental you know, game too. Oh. Cause you're not just thinking about yourself. <laughs> you're having to take the, your wife and your mom and the whole family into consideration Obviously, you can't do that 20 feet up trying to hit the box, but throughout the competition, that's a lot of pressure, too. Yeah, there's a lot in the back of my head, um, more than there used to be, for sure. You know, I just turned 40 uh, in September, and it's just been a real it's been a real trip, like growing older and like starting to to appreciate different things in life than maybe you once didn't because you're running around too quickly. Sure. Who knows? But but yeah, I mean, like it was, that's the, the mental side of of making sure that I'm like uh, I'm doing everything I can do to be the best I can be, but still at the same time, be there for my family. It's, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely draining um, for, for competition, just like most people who compete in any events, you know, they've got a lot on their shoulders. Um, It's just a little different when you've already been injured and people, people just want you to do really well, but at the same time, they know what you used to do and they just don't want you to hurt yourself trying to achieve that same level of competitiveness. Sure. Um, sure. I think that was the, the hardest part for my mom was watching that was watching me push as hard as I can push, which is an amazing thing to see, but also it has to be a little bit scary. I'm sure. Oh, it has to be. It absolutely has to be. Now, was there a point in the competition when uh, you were like, fuck i've got a i've got a shot at taking this or was it uh i'm just gonna get through this and and we'll see where the you know where the score lies at the end yeah it was actually after the accuracy competition that um that i felt my best because in my eyes it's so weird how the nationals played out because in my eyes my distance is my best but i blew it in a distance event this year Mm. and then my accuracy was the one that i was worried about the most because of my ankle and i ended up placing second in that (laughs) um speed was a a big problem because of uh the the mutant harnesses and these guys are just laying down some really sick speed times you know um even into a slight headwind um you know i watched some 2.1 somethings into a headwind that were hitting two eights and it wow. was like, what the fuck just happened? Like, this doesn't make any sense, you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but it, it, it's, uh, it's pretty neat to watch. And I, you know, I hope in the future, I, I need to talk to some sponsors and some other people and see where that goes. But, you know, I'd like to be flying one of these mutant or infinity harnesses or one of these other companies that are making one of these, you know, as well, it's just a matter of getting my hands on one and then putting the time in, you know, like sure. any of these other pilots who've been putting three, four years in on these things and now they're scoring good runs. It took some practice and, you know, as in any good venue or sport athlete, you almost have to take a step backwards to take two forwards sometimes. Sure. So, um, you know, I, 
that just seems like the route to go for the future on some of these venues. But, mm. but in the meantime, I've got to maximize whatever the fuck I can do to get smaller in my body position so I can fly further and faster because I don't have one of these harnesses and these guys sure. are killing it. You know, um, it's kind of scary. To, and I was worried <laughs> about that going into nationals though. You know, like, so speed, they kicked my butt. I stayed up in there, not too bad off. You know, I think I fifth overall in speed and then uh, accuracy the next day um, was doing, I was in first until my, my teammate Scott did his rejump and then he scored his, his next like 91 or hundred. So he had, he had uh, better scores than me. Mm. And then uh, distance was a, it was a shamble, man. I I'm flying a 58 and I, I need to set up smooth and deep and just like touch the water lightly. And I'm like, I'm tight and aggressive and I'm <laughs> tighter than I've been in any practice jump in any comp jump, anything in the last month. And I had to let it dive like all the way to the water and then like re-riser it out. And man, it was tail fluttering through the corner. And I drugged the whole accuracy course with my left knee and my right leg just to like keep from spitting off the water. Sure, <laughs> and then, sure. and then ended up going like a, to me what seems like a pitiful 120 something meters and i'm like wow okay wake up call what the <laughs> heck's happening <laughs> and then uh second jump didn't go much better still charge gate too hard third jump was awesome um i was tied with kurt almost by like two points this is where like accuracy i was ahead by like 15 points or something. And by the end of, and I thought I would just walk away with this thing by the third round of distance, I'm less than two points ahead because uh, of my shitty distance rounds. And mm. then, um, so Kurt went and I had him go in front of me. Uh, I've been going first the whole comp, but I want him to go first. Um, and then uh, I followed him in and I, I saw where he landed based off of some strategy that I figured out. And, uh, and I pushed about like maybe a half a foot or a foot past where he landed. So wow. I barely, barely took him on that round, which ended up in second and distance, which is fine. Cause I only cared about overalls. Sure. And then I ended up winning by like two and a half points or something like that. Something ridiculous. I mean, so all in all, close. a hell you know, of a competition. Those, yeah. 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 It was, it was awesome. So no, that really, was like, that was unreal. Following it as a following it as a fan as a, and as a spectator and watching the scores, especially not being there and having to see them when they're posted and going, oh fuck, you know. So it was really cool to watch the whole thing happening. But I mean, you must have been you're standing up on the podium and you've made it. You've you've succeeded where only a couple of years ago walking straight was in question. That's got to feel pretty damn good. Yeah, that was that was a huge thing for me. That was. I, I, you know, and the, the bigger stat on that, like it's, that was my sixth national title and I almost have as many world titles as I have national titles, because for me, the nationals, like I was saying is so intimidating sometimes mm. and it's anyone's game, you know, like Tommy Delbeck's year and Kurt's and mine and whoever else has won Bobo. And, you know, you start adding up all these champion wins. And I mean, so I've been competing in 2007 to 2021. I missed like three or four of them, you know? So, I mean, when you come down to it, like that's shooting like 50% on the, on the stats for sure for national titles. And that's hard because it's, it's a really difficult competition. If that's, if your overall goal, like this year counted for the DIPC accounted for the world championships of freestyle accounted for the world championships uh, in 
regular events it counted for uh as well as the world games uh wow. the count, well this didn't count for that but you know like, so there's like three world events on one national event you sure. know and, and and then you know you never know the the other the other pressure we've seen before where one year's national counts for multiple years teams based off of the fact that maybe covid or whatever else happened sure. we've seen it multiple times where you know jonathan taggle lost two two years of world teams because he performed badly at one because they use the same results for two different years right it's just on it you know one of the world's best athletes in swooping you know in my eyes you know like watching people who should be in these venues not at these venues it's a real eye-opener and sure. i personally have put myself in that position in 2016 by not making the team uh, when i clearly should have if i would have just run nine rounds you know but but you want to win too you don't just want to run nine rounds yeah of know? course of course um yeah now there's that that champion mentality that won't go away for the uh, for the upcoming swoopers the guys that are are watching competitions like this maybe don't know the background of a lot of uh, uh, the guys but they know that this is something they want to do having run the gambit from literally you know kind of having that Midas touch and and everything is just turning up gold for you to fuck I don't know if I can do this anymore what's the advice you give to guys that have kind of singled in on this this is what they want to do this is the route they want to go but they're you know I mean what what should their mentality be what should they be thinking um you know uh, do it for the right reasons make sure it's it's what you you want for yourself. I mean, there's, there's fame and glory, but it lasts about five minutes on the podium and it's for a medal that was made, you know, for the, for the tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars you spend to do it. So make sure you're doing it for yourself and, and you'll find the, what you're looking for, you know? Um, and, and it, what, what it really takes a hundred percent, uh, just go out there and just practice things until you keep failing. And once you start failing, that's when you start learning. So sure. Just keep going. If it's 65 or 100 accuracy jumps in a row to figure out how to do accuracy, then you got to keep pushing through and do that. You know, uh, sometimes it, the monotonous tasks of just repetition, unfortunately, is what teaches us to do it right in those moments when you're like, how do I do this? It's not really something I'm, I'm not really um, deciding how I'm going to fly my canopy and accuracy. I'm reacting to how my sight picture and my senses are taking in what's happening sure and then my training is what comes through in those moments when i'm deciding how many toggles how i lean forward or back or installing it and standing it up that's all just a reaction to the training you know sure. training the site picture to react properly instead of improperly well so and i mean just to, practice it up man that's, to, to that's put it bluntly it's your your training and the repetition of what can sometimes be the boring stuff is not only the reason that you kept getting podiums but it's the reason you're alive <laughs> I mean, that's the bottom yeah, line yeah, is sure. your reactions and all that training kept you uh, with just the injuries you have instead of just being a stain on the side of the pond, which is fucking, that's the best advice I could possibly imagine. Do it because it could save your yeah. ass. And that's true, man. And, you know, like everybody's like, and I get it, dude. Everybody's like, I don't want to pop up an accuracy. I'm afraid of hurting myself. Like I, I hear it all the time. Um, you can totally hurt yourself. You're right. But if I hadn't done, like you were talking about, if I hadn't been training those pop-up install-ins like Kurt and I had done since the early 2010 era, mm. when we first started doing these types of accuracy lanes, if we hadn't practiced that so much, then maybe I wouldn't have flown the 64 that I fly in accuracy into the ground during this accident as well as I did. Sure. The same parachute I use, you know sure. what I mean? 
it, it does make sense to me. And, and it's about controlling your wing and understanding it's not, we're not crashing in when we pop up 25 feet in the air. We're actually landing softer than most people are when they're landing from like five feet in there. Sure. It's just based off how we use our parachutes. We sure. Shoot, you know, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, but yeah, man, that, that saved, my, saved my life. That did it twice in Dubai <laughs> when I collapsed a, the little cloud 16 meter on the mountains when I was soaring. Mm. I, turned in towards a mountain and put the wing through the middle of the nose. And then it, it was going in real fast from like 30 or 40 feet up. I remember like flying this stall into this stand up on this cliff edge. And then, and then they broke my right ankle and then I fell off that little edge and then dropped another 15 feet. And the same canopy that, you know, the ledge that I broke my ankle on the canopy got hung up on. And that saved me from going off the next few ledges. <laughs> and, and that was just, that was insane uh but that was when we used to always you know everybody used to speed fly and paraglide out there you sure. know but i didn't know what i was doing man i don't have i'm not a i'm not a speed flyer paraglider i'm i'm i've speed flown a lot of parachutes but never like a crossover wing or right. par, partial paraglider um that was that was a little in above my head and i i flew it like i shouldn't have flown it so, sure wolfo issues but um <laughs> but yeah man that kind of stuff saves your life you know like all the little things that you think you know like everything adds up. Maybe things happen for a reason, you know, stuff like that. Um, yeah. you know, cause everything, everything adds up for, to, to that moment. And I'm not sure why that moment happened. Who knows, but, sure. but maybe something worse was supposed to happen. If I kept it from happening, who knows? I don't know. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I'll tell you what, with a situation like that, I don't know that necessarily you have to put meaning into the moment that it happened. It's about putting meaning into the moments that follow. Yeah, man. And that's just a lot of hard work. Sure. Um, a lot of rehabilitation, a lot of, a lot of pushing hard, get your muscle groups back. Don't leave any muscle groups out. You ought to get your whole range of motion back on that ankle, sure. you know, whatever is broken needs to be taken care of as much as possible. Um, and, and then, you know, that's, and then the mental side of it, like you were saying, you know, like it's what can your body physically do is one thing, but how much can you mentally push through it is another thing. Yeah. And, and maybe I'll have implications lady, maybe, maybe going really hard on it isn't the best for the ankle because it's got a bunch of scar tissue in it. But sure. in the meantime, I'm, I'm enjoying myself and I uh, I'm looking forward to the next competitions and whether I win or lose uh, it's about a growing experience for myself and see how hard I can push myself again. Um, it really makes me happy. That's so. fucking awesome. And I mean, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about is you got to make yourself happy and, and pursue what you want. Now, how do uh, um, how do people get a hold of you if they want to come take a canopy course with you and they want to hear about this shit firsthand? How do they follow uh, the competitions that you got coming up? How do they how do they get a hold of you? Yeah, um, I'm I'm actually you know uh, you can contact me at nick period batch at gmail .com for any of my canopy courses. It's just my name with a period between it at Gmail. Cool. Um, and I also. Uh, I'm open to any suggestions anybody has on my Facebook pages. Uh, I have a group that I put together for all my coaching courses online. Um, and then if you want to be a part of that, just Facebook message me under Nicholas Batch or Nick James Batch on my sports athlete page. And I'll include you in the group. And that way you can get uh, messaged in on all the different uh, events and coaching gigs I'm, I'm providing around the night. So, Dude, that's and hopefully we're awesome. going to be international here soon. I'm trying to figure out how to get fly there right now. Fucking awesome. So, um, the DIPC is happening. The uh, the first round will definitely be on me. Yeah, we'll be hanging out hopefully pretty soon. 
So uh, I don't know. I'm probably going to, I got to look up some flights today and uh, see what I have from JFK on over to there. So awesome, man. Yep. Awesome. Well, Nick, yeah, I'll tell you what, man, I cannot thank you for taking the time to tell the story because this I really wanted people to hear. Uh, I'm going to release this one uh, pretty much right away because obviously I want to hit while the iron's hot nationals just happened. People are still super excited about it. And I want them to hear the story because it's not just about the guy that, you know, that won the medal. There's a big story behind this one. So, again, man, I can't thank you enough. Yeah, no, I really appreciate it. It's really a pleasure to be a part of uh just being able to share what I've gone through personally and where I've gone, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting story and, and I'm not, I'm not a real social media type person. So it's, it's good to be able to share it somewhere where you get to tell the whole story, you know, verbally instead of just in text, you know, so it's, it's sure. Great. Well, and I, I think there's a lot of valuable lessons for people to learn. So again, I, I think it's fantastic and, and I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Awesome. Well, well, I guess I'll talk to you soon, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll we'll hang out and have a drink. All right. Take it easy, man. And there you go. Another episode of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void in the Can, brought to you, as always, by, that's right, NZ Aerosports. Fuck yeah. Brought to you by Summit Parachute Systems. Head to summitparachutesystems.com. You can check out the badass pilot rigs that Jarrett Martin and the family are cranking out over there, as well as the incredible rigging courses that Jarrett gives. As for me, I am the fucking pilot. Head to thefuckingpilot.net or theprincesspilot.com where you can find links to all the previous podcasts and both the books. We'll see you next time.